Welcome back to Raise the Apple. We have a lot to talk about with the Mets. The first place Mets have won seven straight games. We're going to dive right into it. They finished a two-game sweep of the Orioles yesterday afternoon. They faced off against John Means in Game 1. Faced off against Matt Harvey and his return to Queens in Game 2. Then that's won both games in wild fashion in the first one. And then again yesterday, just the offense burst out against Harvey. They now have an off day today. They're heading down to Tampa this weekend to face off with the defending AL champion Tampa Bay Rays. And there's a lot of excitement right now with the Mets. A lot of positive momentum going in. I remember just a few short while, just a little while ago, Mets fans, including myself, were very hesitant pushing the panic button and wondering, uh-oh, is this going to be a lost season? But, nah. They're set, they've won seven in a row. They now have a full game lead over the Phillies in the NL East. They are now 18-13 and 13 on the year. They now also have a positive run differential. Going into yesterday's game, the Miami Marlins were the only team in the division with a positive run differential. At plus 10, the Mets are now at plus 4. And so now there are two teams in the NL East with a positive run differential. We'll talk about the standings around the rest of Major League Baseball at the end of, this, the, end of the episode. Well, first, we're going to talk about uh, Tuesday's game. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tuesday, Mets faced off against John Means. Stroman versus John Means. It was a comeback win for the Mets. They could not get really anything going against John Means. It took until the ninth to get something going. They tie, Dom Smith ties the game with an RBI single. And then with runners on second and third. It was runners on the corners, then pass ball, runners on second and third. Patrick Mazika comes up yet again. He has... Four plate appearances now, or going into the at-bat, he had three plate appearances, still didn't register a hit. He comes up again, hits another dinker to first base, Mancini comes home, VR beats the plate at the plate, VR's safe, Mets win. Another walk-off for Patrick Mazika, which has, he's developed himself into a hero among Mets fans, and he's had four at-bats and yet to get a hit. Uh, I saw this stat that uh, I forgot who found it, but RBI started becoming an official stat in 1920. Patrick Mazika is the first person it since RBIs became an official stat to have two walk-off RBIs without registering a hit, an official hit, which I think is crazy. Both of his walk-offs this year have been fielder's choices. He got his shirt ripped off for both of them. I think the funniest part of the walk-off on Tuesday was when you watch the replay of it of the Mets dugout, Pete Alonzo and David Peterson absolutely ate it getting over the railing. They jump over the railing and they just fall completely flat on the ground, which I thought was funny. But that wasn't the headline of the game. Well, it was the headline, but until that happened, the headline of the game was Albert, Al- Albert Almora Jr., Ball's hit to deep center field. Almora races back for it. He catches it, goes basically splat into the wall, and the ball comes out. Uh, I believe it was Austin Hayes that hit it for Baltimore. I could be wrong on that. Ends up at third with a triple. 
that was in my entire life of watching baseball that it has to be the hardest I've ever seen someone smack into the wall and I tweeted that you know, I, I was like I'd take a bullet for Almora after that one he went splat into that wall and some fans were saying they were in section 333 and they heard the smack of the, him hitting the wall all the way in 333 and for those of you who don't know where 333 is Almora smack if you're imagining City Field Almora smacked in the center field wall just about right in front of where the seven line usually sits and that right next to the apple there and then 333 is on the left or above the third base dugout in one of the upper sections of the third base dugout. So that's a long way away. That is a big, big smack. Thankfully, Almora is okay. He was able to get up and walk off on his own power. They had to be careful moving him because initially they didn't know if it was his head or his neck. And if it's his neck, you definitely don't want to move him just for the sake of you don't want to risk damaging anymore. But the fact that he was able to get up and get off the field on his own is a great thing. The reports or the x-rays were negative in terms of head or neck issues. The He was placed on the IL with a bruised shoulder. And how he smacked into that wall as hard as he did. If you go watch the replay or if you watch the game, you know exactly how hard he hit into the wall. He left an imprint a little bit in the wall. How he only escaped that with just a bruised shoulder baffles me. I was expecting 100% at least a concussion after how hard he smacked. But concussion, the way concussions are, he, it could the side effects and symptoms of a concussion could show up a couple days later, so they're going to keep a close eye on him. But thankfully, no injury is good, but thankfully it is only a bruised shoulder, especially for how hard he hit that wall because he hit hard. But in a corresponding move, the Mets are bringing up Khalil Lee from AAA Syracuse. For those of you wondering who's Khalil Lee, Khalil Lee came to the Mets in a three-team trade that involved the Mets, the Royals, and the Red Sox. He was involved in the trade that the big the big part of that trade was the Red Sox sending Andrew Benintendi to the Royals, and then the Mets ended up with Khalil Lee. So he will make his Mets debut maybe sometime in Florida. He may just be like Patrick Mazika and just only solely work off the bench, especially with Nimmo expected to be activated tomorrow to start the series in Tampa. Khalil Lee probably might stay a little bit since they just brought him up. Maybe Mazika gets sent down. Maybe they send down a bullpen arm. Who knows who's going to get sent down, but Nimmo's expected to come back this weekend. Davis probably within the next week or so. But I'm just amazed that how hard Almora hit that wall and he only has a bruised shoulder and then he tweets I love this <clears throat> so he caught the ball when he smacked into the wall and knocked the ball out of his glove so it wasn't a catch but then later that night he tweets I caught it dot 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 which I thought was hilarious so that was very scary to watch at first I'm glad he's okay given all out effort that just you love to see that and the the, the bench mob, as they're calling it, with Pilar, Nito, Almora, uh, Luis Guillorme, Jose Peraza. Uh, VR will join that, probably join, well, maybe not. But VR was part of that crew when J.D. Davis is, was, wasn't hurt. The bench mob has been great. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think there's much better benches 
in baseball. They've bet, had so much. They've built so much depth, and not just minor, not just like depth in terms of you're calling up guys and you have no idea what they're doing. Your bench is full of established major league veterans that have proven themselves time and time again. Pilar and VR, the ER Pilar boys, have been great since getting their opportunity. Peraza had a fantastic day yesterday, collecting two RBIs and a couple hits. Tomas Nito, he just hasn't played much. James McCann's gotten like 90% of the starts. I think Nito should get a little bit more playing time, also considering McCann never has caught a full season, really. He's done usually split a lot of the time. Even when he was an All-Star in 2019, he got a majority of the catching, but he did split a lot of it with someone else. And with uh, Nito's been great offensively, so you have to wonder if McCann continues to struggle. Will Nito get more of a chance to start? But I don't th- see that happening, considering how much they or considering the what they've given the contract they have with James McCann. Uh, who else am I missing? Luis Guillorme, who's still battling injury. He's still coming back. This is great. This is great to have this sort of depth on the bench because when it gets to October, when it gets to playoff time, you get into those big spots late in the game and the pitcher spot is due up and you got to take out the pitcher and you need a pinch hitter. It is. I feel so much better having Kevin Pillar or Jonathan Villar, Nito, Peraza, uh, Guillaume when he comes back. All those guys, I feel 100% confident in them at the plate rather than who used to be that option for the Mets in recent years. You know, we've had uh, Daryl Siciliani, Eric Campbell, just to name a couple. Oh, Almora, too, will be part of the... I'm comfortable with Almora. I just forgot to mention him. Having that experience depth is great to have, especially in the playoffs, and especially when the Mets have been hit with a little injury bug and they've had a history of being hit with an injury bug. So that is great, great, great to have. And then yesterday, in light of all of Tuesday's events with the walk-off and Patrick Mazika cementing himself in Mets history before he even registers a hit, Albert Armora going splat. Yesterday was Matt Harvey's return to City Field. Well, second return, but first start against the Mets. When he was traded in 2018 to the Reds for Devin Mazzarocco, he was there uh, when the Reds came to City Field, but he did not start in that series. They had a nice tribute video for him and all that. This is his first time facing the Mets since then. Everyone was learning what the ovation was going to be. I think Mets fans got it right. He took the mound, Mets fans cheered, he came up to hit uh, because it's an NL Park, comes up to hit, they played his walk-up song, he got a standing ovation, which I thought was nice, and then uh, he gets taken out of the game, the Mets beat, roughed him up a little bit, charged him for seven runs, Harvey leaves the mound, and the Mets gave him one final standing ovation, which I thought was a really nice gesture, because regardless of how you feel about how things ended with Harvey the way he pitched for that team, he it was just unbelievable. The way he was with the Mets, especially in that 2015 season, we've seen one of the best pitchers of that of those couple years from 2013 to 2015, one of the best pitchers in baseball. 
and I think it was proper that Mets fans give him a nice ovation. I think he deserves it, regardless of how things end. I know things didn't end on the best of terms, but I want to play a clip. This is what Harvey said after the game. Uh, it was, I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot of uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of memories. Um, you know, I, I wasn't. Obviously, there's been so many ups and, ups and downs here uh, at this ballpark and with this organization that. Um, you know, I didn't really know what to expect, and, and what they gave me, um, what the fans gave me out there was was pretty incredible. I, I had hold, was holding back tears. Um, I'm not going to lie about that. It was it was pretty hard holding them back, and it reminded me of uh, you know a lot, really a lot of the good memories and and uh, coming off the field with uh, you know an ovation like that. Um, it brought a lot back, and it was it was very special to me. Something I'll, something I'll never forget. And then Matt Harvey saying, you know, he's holding back tears and all that. And then when you wa- if you watch the, I got that video from Steve Galbs on Twitter. When you watch Harvey saying that, you could definitely see the emotion in his face, and he was trying to hold back tears again. It meant a lot to him to have Mets fans still giving him an ovation, still having his back. And I think that's rightfully so. I think that was a great move by Mets fans. I wish I could have been there to watch it. I was happy that the Mets won that game. I was hoping for Harvey to pitch maybe four or five solid innings, and then the Mets beat up on the Orioles' bullpen. But the Mets beat up on Harvey a little bit and then uh, slowed down a little bit against the bullpen, which is that's fine at the end of the day. The Mets won. Harvey got what I thought he deserved, which was a nice ovation for everything he's done for this team. And now the Mets, and that was just a great day. The Mets won their seventh straight. They swept their second straight series, 5-0 and homestand. Now they head on the road for nine days, where it'll be in Tampa, Atlanta, and then Miami. DeGrom is on track to be activated when the Mets are in Miami to round out the road trip, which is great considering DeGrom has pitched some of his best days in Miami. If you remember, was it last year or 2019? where he pitched 14 strikeouts, complete game shutout. The Mets won one nothing, and he hit a solo homer, and that was the lone run of that game. So DeGrom has had some great moments in Miami. Uh, Miami is kind of is not as bad as people may make them out to be. Miami's got a solid direction they're heading in, And then they'll face Atlanta for the first time this year. And now this weekend will be Tampa, which I think will be a great series. A lot to look forward to with the Mets. Which now brings us to the rest of Major League Baseball. Uh, we got one thing, and then we're going to do a little bit of a standings recap. Are the Oakland A's on the move? The Oakland A's could be on the move. So for the past couple years, just to give give out some context, if you look at the Oakland A's stadium... It need, they needed an upgrade. They need a new stadium. There was, for a little bit, they were sharing it with the Oakland Raiders, who, who are now in Vegas. They need a new stadium. They've been trying to get a new stadium for the past couple years, but because of local uh, leadership, they haven't been able to get it done. MLB stepped in earlier this week and said, if the local pe- if local politicians aren't going to help us help you guys get a new stadium then you need to find somewhere else to go. Which brought up the conversation of where would the Oakland A's go? 
Some cities that were brought up were Portland, Oregon, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Las Vegas, Nevada. I don't like Las Vegas. I don't think Las Vegas is a good spot, and I'll come back to why I think that in a little bit. I think Nashville might be a possibility. I, a lot of people have been talking about Nashville for a few years now, same with Portland, and same with potentially adding another Canadian team, although I don't think Oakland, the Oakland A's are going to go all the way to Canada to play. Vegas does seem like the most viable option in terms of potential revenue and just proximity and convenience. It's right there. It's not that it is far from Oakland, but it's, you know, you're not going to the other side of the country or anything like that. But why I don't th- why I think they shouldn't be going to Vegas? I the Raiders went from Oakland to Vegas. The A's potentially could go from Oakland to Vegas. I don't like it going to Vegas is because I don't, my personal opinion, again, this is my own personal opinion, so people can feel free to disagree with me. I don't like these newer stadiums. They're taking away from the game itself. So if you go, I went to a couple years ago for uh, spring break. My younger brother played baseball. They had a trip down to Florida. So my family went, we made a little vacation out of it. We stayed a couple extra days. We stayed in Florida, and then we went over to Atlanta to a Braves game a couple days after. And when we walked into, at the time it was SunTrust Park, now it's Truist Park. But when we walked into the stadium, they had this giant area, like open grass area for kids to play in with like slides and stuff. They had, you know, all these kind of like carnival style games. They had a a mini zip line on this was all in like one giant section and deep in the outfield. They had like a mini zip line for kids to go on, all this stuff. And I personally didn't like it because I'm there, at least this just might be a me thing. I'm there to watch the game. When I go to a stadium, especially if it's a new stadium, so this is my first time in Atlanta, I went there. I like to spend the beginning of the game, or instead of the pregame, because MLB stadiums are kind of annoying with going down and trying to interact with players and all that, which to an extent is understandable, but sometimes they're a little overboard with it. So before games, I don't even try going down there unless I have a ticket in that area, which I never have. So me and my brothers, we will like walked around the stadium. So I was like, well, we're here. Let's take a tour of the stadium. So we walked around the entire stadium to see what it had that's what I like. I like to do when I go to a new stadium. I like. I just like to walk around it and see like the stadium, you know. And <clears throat> excuse me, we're walking around, and I was like, "This stadium is amazing. It's beautiful." But I don't like that they have all that extra stuff because it takes away from the game itself and the other stuff the ballpark has that contribute to the game. They had all these like memorabilia shops and all these like food stands that had you know Braves themed stuff and all that and I just didn't like it because I think it takes away from the game you're there you're paying you know potentially over a hundred dollars per ticket to watch a baseball game not there to go on a zip line and play all these games and stuff and I guess that's just the way the world is changing now you know with people not having the desire or interest to sit and watch a game for two and a half to three hours plus but with going to Vegas, I saw recently that the Raiders are adding kind of like a, de- a club area in their stadium. 
Now, obviously, that can help financially when they're not in season in the NFL and having it as a club, but that club will be fully operational during the game. You're paying a lot of money to go see these sports teams play, and you're going to waste that time in a club or on a playground in the stadium than actually watching the game itself that you spent a lot of money to go see. I don't know. That just might be a me thing. I'm not calling people. If you do that and that's your thing, good for you. You know, you do you. But personally, that's just not my thing. I don't like that. I'm paying to go there to watch the game, not to do all the extra stuff. But if that's what you do, props to you. That's your decision. I just don't like that. And if the A's move to Vegas, especially Vegas being a big tourist attraction city with a lot of stuff to do, I can almost be assu- I can almost assure you that the A's new stadium, if they went to Vegas, would include extra stuff like that, whether it be a club or a kids park type thing or anything like that. And I just don't think those things are necessary in a sports stadium because, yes, I understand like the extra potential revenue involved and get people there, but I just think it takes away from the game itself, and that's what. derails people from wanting to come to the games or sitting there and watching games for so long. It's because you have all this extra stuff. But nonetheless, the A's are in a tough spot. MLB kind of, excuse me, MLB kind of played like the your move card to the city of Oakland. saying, hey, we're going to get these guys out of here if you're not going to help them get a new stadium. So now it's, it's your move. So it'll be interesting to see where that plays out. This has been an issue that's been going on for years. So it'll be interesting to see where it ends up from there. But now let's... Excuse me. Wow, got a little something in my throat. Let's take a look at the standings right now. Not much has changed. Not much has changed in the National League. Well, there has been a big change in the National League. And that's as we mentioned in first... St. Louis still running the Central. Milwaukee's been dipping a little bit. They're now two games back. The NL West. The first place, San Francisco Giants. Two-game lead over the Padres. A a two-and-a-half game lead over the defending World Series champion Dodgers. The Dodgers did win last night. They've won two in a row. They're four and six in their last ten. I at one point going into Sunday, I think they were saying that the Dodgers have lost fourteen of eighteen or something like that. They were almost at five hundred. I can't remember the last time I saw a Dodgers team at or below five hundred. Especially when this Dodgers team, when everyone was talking about when they, you know, they bring back Mookie and all that, and then they add Bauer. This Dodgers team could win 115, 120 games. They still very well could. It's not likely they will, but they still very well could. The Dodgers are, they're not, if you're a Dodgers fan, don't be upset. Don't be worried. They'll be fine. The Dodgers will end up winning this division again. I have no doubt about that. If I'm wrong, you can call me out all you want, but I'm not worried about the Dodgers. Every team, like I've said before on this podcast, every team will go through a rough patch, and it seems like their season's toast, but then they always bounce out of it. In the American League, Oakland's still running the West. The AL West, to me, seems like the most wide-open division, along with the NL Central. Oakland has a two-and-a-half game lead over Houston, and then a four-and-a-half game lead over Seattle. And Seattle's very much in it, and especially with Jared Kelnick coming up today, making his Major League debut. 
Seattle could make a run at it. And the Angels are six games out, but there is plenty of time to go. Mike Trout is Mike Trout. Shohei Otani is doing things we've never seen, we haven't seen in baseball since Babe Ruth. So it, it's it's a wide-open division. It really is. And then when you look in the Central, the White Sox have a game lead over the Indians. The Indians are getting hot. They've won eight of their last ten. They've won three in a row. Watch out for the Indians. They may be a sneaky little team in there. Minnesota is ten games under five hundred and currently sitting in fourth place. This, which is a huge shock because I was expecting Minnesota to be that team right behind Chicago, the White Sox, all year. And then the White Sox do prevail at the end, but the White Sox have won five straight in seven of their last ten. But the story in that division is the collapse of the Kansas City Royals. Last time we did the standings update, the Kansas City Royals were in first place. They're now in third place. They've lost ten straight. They were 16-9, and had the best record in the American League, and now they are back to being the Kansas City Royals that everyone was predicting. But they're still very much in it. Five and a half games back and plenty of time to make that up. I don't think they will make that up. Uh, Same with the Twins. They're nine games out, but I don't think they will make that up. They do have time to do it, though. I think that division is the White Sox to lose, although Indian may give them a little bit more competition than they may be expecting. If they could continue this hot strap, former Ahmed Rosario hit the walk-off for the Indians the other day. So it should be interesting to see how that division shakes out. I feel like Minnesota has to get going at some point, but they just they just haven't. And I just they just haven't. And then in the AL East, the Boston Red Sox still hold the best record, best oh second best record now in baseball in terms of winning percentage. The White Sox took over that uh, last night. The Red Sox, 22-16 and 16 on the year. They have a game lead over the Yankees. Here come the Yankees. They've won four in a row. Yankees, I gave them crap, but I also said don't worry because I'm a Mets fan. It's my job to hate on the Yankees. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Yankees are back in it. Luke Voigt is back, which is a huge boost for that lineup. Tanaka, not Tanaka, wow. Tyone and Kluber have been pitching much better lately. That division is very tight. Five and a half games back from first to last. Baltimore's been playing great. They've just been playing... They've had a really tough schedule to start the year. They've been playing really good teams. Tampa Bay is three games out at 500. Then a game and a half back is Toronto. The game of the Yankees. And then the Red Sox. That is a tight division. Same thing with the a, or the NL East. It's a tight division. So it should be it should be exciting to watch that down the stretch and into the summer how that how that turns out. That's all the news going on around Major League Baseball. Last part of today's episode is today in Major League Baseball history. In 1982, the Cubs became the first Major League team ever to win 8,000 games. The milestone came in the their 15,337th game in the 107-year history of the Cubs. First team ever to 8,000 wins, which led me to look at uh, who has the most, like, the best record by team in Major League Baseball. Let me just pull that up quick. I had it, but right now the Cubs have the sixth best record in all of baseball. They've won 11,019 games in franchise history. The teams in front of them are the Red Sox, Cardinals, Dodgers, Giants, and then the top team is the Yankees, 
who have won who have won the third mo or let me do some math here. Fourth most ah, let's try this again. They have won the sixth most games all time, but they have the highest winning percentage all time. The teams that have more wins than them overall are the Braves, the Pirates, the Reds, the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, and the Giants. So I may have be wrong again. Maybe the seventh wins all time. That was a struggle right there. But they did... They do have the highest winning percentage in all of baseball, which is incredible to see. So then I look to see where the Mets are. Again, this is all in terms of winning percentage. The Mets have the 20th highest winning percentage all time at 481. They've won 4,448 games in franchise history and have lost 4,809 and have tied eight since they became a team back in 1962, which is, I think, a fun little thing. It's a fun little thing to look at. Uh, the worst, if in case you're wondering, the lowest winning percentage all time is the San Diego Padres, who have a 462 winning percentage. And when you look at the teams that are at the bottom, it's they're only at the bottom just because they're relatively new, except the Phillies. They're relatively not new teams, but they're the most recent teams added to baseball. But that's pretty much going to wrap it up for today's episode, this week actually, of Raise the Apple. The Mets will be in Tampa this weekend. Make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe down below. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure you subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. And make sure you follow on Twitter at RTA underscore pod. And we will see you next week. Hopefully the Mets can continue this hot streak in Tampa, continue that first place momentum. And we will see you on Tuesday. Let's go Mets.